morning. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you, Travis, for that wonderful introduction. It's a joy to be here. Uh, Allison and I attend here. I attend when I can. I'm on the road so much or preaching elsewhere. But uh, I, I uh, when Travis came here, Allison had already been to this church a couple of times, and she, she told me, she said, now, Mark, preach wherever you want to, go wherever you want to. She said, I'm going to be at Restoration, and I'm going to be with Travis. She said, doesn't mean I don't love you. It just means I'm going to be at Restoration. So we love it, and it's, this church has been a great blessing to us, and it's a joy to uh, sit under my son's ministry. I think of a passage of Scripture from the, uh, from the Mount of Transfiguration. And it is a, it, it's something that I mean when I say this to you. I hope that every single one of you will be back next Sunday for his sermon. This is a wonderful young preacher. And you heard it this morning when he was talking just even about the offering. He's a communicator and gifted communicator. And I, I hope you'll be back on Sunday to hear him. The passage from the transfiguration is this. God says, this is my son, my only son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. So I say the same thing. Now, uh, Travis asked me if I would speak this morning. He gave me a specific topic, and I, I like that. Some people don't like that. I, I like to know what I can do or say to, to be consistent in the stream of what God is doing at a church uh, to which I'm invited to speak. So I'm happy to be here. Thank you for the invitation, Travis. It honors me, and I'm delighted to be here. If you have your Bibles, if you'll take those and turn to the gospel according to Luke, I'm going to begin reading at verse 28, the gospel according to Luke, verse 28 of the 19th chapter, verse 28 of the 19th chapter of Luke. And when he, now that is Jesus, of course, and when he had thus spoken, he went ahead, ascending up to Jerusalem. And it came to pass when he came near to Bethphage or Bethany to the mount called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying, go into the village opposite you in which at your entering you shall find a colt tied on which never man sat. I want you to just make a notice of that on which never man sat. Loose him and bring him here. And if any man ask you, why do you loose him? Thus shall you say unto him, because the Lord hath need of it. And they that were sent went their way and they found it, even as Jesus had said unto them. And as they were loosing the colt, its owner said unto them, why loose ye the colt? And they said, the Lord hath need of him. And they brought him to Jesus and they cast their garments upon the colt and they set Jesus on it. And as he went, they spread their clothes in the way. Now put your hands on your Bible, if you will, and let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this morning, for the joy that we sense, and for the triumph This is ours. that is ours. The voice of triumph, the voice of victory. We thank you for it, God. You have truly spoken to us through worship and music and giving. Now, Lord, I pray that you'll speak through your word as well. I yield myself to you, and I'm asking that you will speak through me. But if that's not possible, I know that you will speak in spite of me, that when we leave here today, we will say one to another, surely the Lord hath spoken unto us. I believe you for it, even in advance, in the wonderful name Jesus, the strong Son of God. Amen. 
I'm going to speak this morning on a man about whom we know absolutely nothing. We don't even know his name. And yet he is a crucial player in a scene in the New Testament which is repeated, acted out, read about, studied, and adored across the breadth of Christendom. Every Palm Sunday, churches from Coptic and Orthodox and Roman Catholic and Evangelical and Charismatic all over the world on the same Sunday celebrate what this man did. And we don't even know his name. He is the man who gave the donkey on which Jesus rode in the Palm Sunday Parade. Now, obviously, God has all kinds of resources. He could have found a donkey from somewhere. God could speak a donkey into existence. But he used this man to give the, the cult of an ass, a donkey, if you will. He used this man, and this man gave. We don't know anything about him. But the story reads as it reads because of his singular act of generosity. So I've chosen that passage this morning to speak on generosity because it is a, it is a fascinating and intriguing story. Now, not knowing everything about this man, we are free to use our sanctified imaginations. I want you to imagine the backstory of this, if you will. That Jesus comes into a village near Bethphage. Bethphage means a house of figs. And he comes into this village, and I've been to that village. Travis has been there. We've been there several times. And as he comes into this village, some people drag before him a man who is demon-possessed. And they throw him at Jesus' feet. Now, I, I just am always a little amused when I hear Americans talking about demonic possession. They just throw it around. They say, oh, this guy's got a demon of gluttony. I said, no, he doesn't. He eats too much. But I can, I can show you a demonic possession. Come and go with me to Africa. And I can show you some people that have gotten involved in demonic possession. And it is terrifying. It's incredible. It's real. It's powerful. I know about it. So imagine that scene that they come and throw this guy at Jesus' feet, and they say, help him. This guy is lost. He is in darkness. He's in bondage. He is totally uh, enwrapped by these demons. He can't speak. He can't hear. He has no human relationship, no tenderness, no grace in his life. He is in a nightmare of demonic possession. And they throw him down at Jesus' feet. He can't even see Jesus. He is totally lost in this, in this horror of, of, of demonic possession. And then through the, through the veil, through the obfuscation of this nightmare of demonic possession, he hears just these words, out! Out! Leave him! And the darkness is broken. It's just in that moment, total victory. It's clear, his mind is clear, his eyes are open, his mouth is open. Can we even begin, even those of us who have been saved out of some dark depravity and that's gone and is broken, but not like this. Can we even imagine the joy unspeakable and full of glory that floods him when he realizes he is free, maybe for the first time in his life, for the first time in a long time. He can see his parents, his family. He's free. He cries out, I'm free, I'm free. And then he turns and looks up at Jesus. And he says, who are you? 
He says, I'm Jesus of Nazareth. He says, well, I'm coming with you. I'm going to follow you everywhere. I'll carry your suitcase. I'll shine your sandals. I, I'll never leave your side. I'm going, to, I'm going to follow you everywhere. And Jesus says, no, that's, that's not my plan for you. He says, I want you to stay here in Bethphage. I want you to live your life in this place with these people. And I'm going to show forth my generosity in you. I am going to bless your life. I am going to bless you beyond anything you've ever dared to think of or imagine. I love to bless. God loves to bless. It says in the Old Testament, in blessing, I will bless thee. And God wants to bless. And he says, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless everything in your life. I'm going to bless you with relationships, with restoration, with healing. I'm going to bless you in prosperity. I'm going to bless your life. And the man says, Lord, be it unto me according to your word, whatever you choose. I'm not asking you for that, but if that's what you want to do in my life, then I receive it. And then Jesus leans over and whispers in his ear something that no one else can hear. And he says, the only thing is, my son, someday you'll hear the phrase, the Lord hath need of it. And when you hear it, I want you to yield without a moment of reservation. He says, anything, Lord, anything. And Jesus leaves. He never sees him again. God begins to bless his life. For the first time, he's able to have meaningful employment. He gets a job as a day laborer. He begins to learn construction. He's working hard. He saves his money. He buys an old beat-up pickup truck. He, he begins to get some, some jobs. He, he, he's saving his money. He meets a beautiful girl. They get married. They begin to have kids. Soon he's able to buy a second truck. He incorporates the Greater Jerusalem Metropolitan Acme Construction Company. And he begins to be able to buy better vehicles and better tools. He's got crews working all over everywhere. Soon he's getting every civic contract, all of the skyscrapers going up all over the skyline of Jerusalem, all have cranes. I met a crane driver right back over there. And all the cranes say, Acme, Acme, Acme. It's all over the skyline of Jerusalem. He is prosperous. He's being blessed. And he says to himself one day, I've just always had... A fantasy that someday I would walk into a Ford dealership and I'm going to pay cash for a fully equipped fire engine red F-250. He says, I just can see it in my mind. I want a whip antenna with a tennis ball on the top. He said, I want a gun rack up in the back window and I want an NRA sticker on the back bumper. He says, I can just see it in my mind. And he calls his accountant in. And he says, look, I, I know this seems funny to you, but I want to walk into the dealership and pay cash. Cash, I don't want to finance it. Can I afford a truck like that? And his accountant says, you don't have any idea how wealthy you are, do you, sir? He said, no, I, maybe I don't. Can I pay cash? He said, you can not only pay cash, you can buy the dealership. He said, no, I just want the truck. But he says, I don't want to write a check. He said, when I say cash, I want shekels in a briefcase. Put them in a briefcase. 
He walks down to the Ford dealership and he describes what he wants. Fire engine red, fully equipped F-250. And he said, I want quadraphonic sound in that extended cab that will class A blow you away. He said, when I jack those speakers up, I want to rattle the windows on the streets aside of me. And he says, you, you know, sir, this salesman says, this is amazing. I actually have on the parking lot, I have a fully equipped fire engine red F-250. I've got it. Just what you're describing. Let's go look at it. He looks at it. He says, I'll take it. The guy says, great. How do you want to finance that? He says, finance. Puts that briefcase up on the hood of that truck and pops it open and he turns it around and it's full of shekels. And the salesman says, come thou, beloved of the Lord. <laughs> Step into my office. And he pays for that truck. He drives it home. He drives up in his driveway, puts the car in, puts the truck in neutral and revs the engine. And those twin pipes are just rolling. Boom, boom, boom. And the people come out of the houses near his friends and they come over and they're looking at his truck and they're standing up on the porch, drinking some lemonade and talking and admiring his new truck. Meanwhile, across town, Jesus and his disciples are approaching Jerusalem. And just before he gets to Bethphage, he says to his team, guys, we're going into Jerusalem and I, we're going to do it differently than we've ever done it. I want a parade. They said, well, Lord, you never wanted a parade before. He said, well, this is different. I want a parade. And you know what I want? I want to stand up in the back of a fire engine red F-250. I want to hold on to the roll bar and wave to the crowd as we go by. And his disciples said, Lord, we don't, we don't, we don't have anything. We don't have an F-250 and we can't afford one. Judas has stolen almost every dime we got. And so we, we, don't, we don't have the money to buy an F-250. We can't even, we can't go to Hertz and rent one. What are you talking about? And Jesus says, John, you and Peter go into Bethphage. Go two blocks into town, turn right, and the fourth driveway up, there'll be a red F-250 brand new with the sticker on the window. I know what you're all thinking. You're thinking you cannot prove from Scripture that the sticker was still on the window. It says, upon which never man had sat. That donkey had zero miles on his odometer. He says to Peter and John, I want you to go into town, go two blocks in, turn right, four driveways up, you're going to find exactly what I'm describing to you. And I want you to Bring it to me. They look at him a little blankly. They say, bring it to you? What do you mean bring it to you? He says, Peter, I know your background. Take a screwdriver with you and hotwire that truck. <laughs> so Peter and John walk into town. Two blocks in, turn right. There's the truck. It's some rough-looking, construction-looking guys up on the porch drinking lemonade. There's that truck in the driveway. And John says to Peter, you know the thing about this that worries me the worst? It's that NRA sticker. <laughs> they climb in the truck. 
The guys up on the porch say to the new owner, those two preachers are getting in your truck. He says, well, poor tail Pentecostal preachers never had anything in their lives. They just want to smell a new car feel. They just want to sit in it for a minute. Let them, let, them, let them sit in it. Then one of the guys says, you know, friend, that big guy, he's got a screwdriver. They're popping the cap off of that steering column. And all of a sudden, that truck roars to life. And they say to him, those boys are stealing your truck. He reaches in his coat pocket and jerks out a piece. And he comes charging down the driveway. And he says, I'm fixing to bust a cap in your sorry hide. Steal my truck. And John lowers the window. And he says, the Lord, um, the Lord, the Lord has need of it. And he holsters his gun. And he says, take the truck and go. As Peter and John drive away with that truck, they have no clue what they just experienced. They're just saying, thank you, God. Thank you, God. The guys on the porch have no understanding. His wife doesn't understand it. Let me tell you who's cosmically confused. His accountant. <laughs> the only person in that story that understands is that man. In that moment, all of the space, all of the time, all of the blessings, it all melts away. And the only thing he can hear is Jesus saying, someday you'll hear me say the Lord has need of it. And he says, take the truck and go. It's an astonishing moment. I want to talk to you about the levels of generosity in this story. First thing I want to talk to you about is, is tithing. Sometimes it's awkward for a pastor to talk about this, but I, I don't live here. I can say anything I want to and leave. <laughs> so I'm going to talk to you a little about tithing. I believe in tithing. Allison and I, have, I didn't grow up in a family. By the way, I do want to say this. I did not grow up in a family that knew tithing, talked about tithing, or practiced it. And I believe to this day, it was one of the reasons that my family, that I grew up in a family with limited income. And I, I believe it was because my family did not practice tithing. I believe in tithing. Now, what is tithing? People talk about it. It's a word we toss around all the time. It is 10% of your income to your local church. 10% of you. So let me get very practical. If you make $1,000 a week, it's a check to the church for $100 a week. If you make $1,000 a month, it's a check for $100 a month to your local church. That's a tithe. Now, there are all kinds of questions people ask. They ask me all the time. Do you think I should tithe on my gross income or should I tithe on my income after taxes? Those are all the kind of legalistic minutiae that I don't even deal with. Whatsoever the Lord saith unto thee, do it. What I'm talking about is regular, consistent percentage giving. I believe in tithing. Now... Some people say to me, tithing is Old Testament. Tithing is the law. We're not under the law. We're under grace. I never argue. I always say, you are so right. You're so right. I believe that too. I have a question for you. Does grace do less than the law or does grace do more than the law? You know what they always say to me? You know, I guess I do believe in the law. I hadn't thought about it until right that moment. I'm an Old Testament Christian. No, so here's the thing. People say, look, 10%, I, my faith will not get me there yet. I can't, I can't do that. Look, I'm not legalistic about this. 
What I'm saying to you is start somewhere. If your faith won't get you to 10%, try seven, try five, try two and a half, something, but set a percentage and begin the journey. And I can assure you on the confidence of the New Testament, God will bless you in the journey that you will increase. 10% will become no challenge to you at some point. At some point, you will find yourself way beyond the 10%. I promise you. But it begins somewhere. Here's one of the great values of, of tithing, of percentage giving. It is this. The wealthiest man in the church who tithes and the poorest little old lady on Social Security who tithes both give the same thing. In God's eyes, they both give the same thing. That's, that's a wonderful thing. That's a, that's a leveling reality. They both give their tithe. Now, I, I remember the late Dr. Claude Smithmeyer. When I was a young guy in my 20s, Dr. Smithmeyer was an elderly man, about the age I am now. And I would travel around with him just to hear him preach. I'd drive him. I'd go with him and drive him. So I drove him to a church here in the state. I was just a young guy. And I drove with him and we came in. And I was walking along beside him and a man rushed up to Claude and he said, Dr. Smithmeyer, do you recognize me? Claude said, I, I, I know you, but I can't think who you are. And the man reminded him, I'm this guy and that guy. He said, do you remember I came to your church? I was broken. I'd, I had lost my family and, and I was just trying to get started and you taught me to tithe and I started tithing. And he said, I just want to report to you. And he was kind of a little proud about it to tell you the truth he said I want to report to you Dr. Smith Dr. Smithmeyer this at this point in my life he said I my annual income is a million dollars he said I'm not just a millionaire I make a million dollars every year my annual income is a million dollars Claude never hesitated he said oh that's wonderful he said thank God he said do you still tithe and that man said Dr. Smithmeyer think think what you're saying I can't afford to tithe um, on a million dollars. A million, that'd be $100,000 a year. I can't, I can't afford to tithe on a million dollars. And Claude said, well, will you let me pray for you again? I was standing right there. I heard the whole thing. The guy said, yes, sir, I sure will. Claude put his arm around the guy's shoulders and he said, Lord, I pray that you will cut this man's income back to the place where he can afford to tithe. <laughs> That guy just, he staggered away. I turned to Claude. I said, Dr. Smithmeyer. He said, he asked for it. <laughs> I, I believe in tithing, and I believe that God will bless you in it, and I believe it is a discipline of service and of, as your pastor said already so eloquently, of worship. It's an act of worship, and I believe that. Now, having said that, however, that is... That's not the end game. That's the that's beginning. That's where we start. It is not just about tithing and it's not just about money. It's about the life of generosity. The life of generosity in in our relationships, in everything that we do of giving and receiving and blessing, a praise generous with our compliments. I don't know why we're so stingy with each other with our compliments. Look, guys, let me speak to the married men here for a moment. Your wife comes in from the shopping mall with a new dress on, and she's modeling that dress for you. She says, look at my new dress. Look what I've got on. You peer over the top of the sports page. 
How much did that set me back? I'm going to confiscate your credit card. She's modeling that dress for you. And let me tell you something, guys. You don't want to use any joke that references Abdullah the tent maker. Go not this way. This way leadeth to destruction. There's a lot of stuff that's funny in Seinfeld that isn't going to work in your house. She walks out there and says, look at, look at my new dress. You throw that newspaper aside and leap to your feet and you say, wow, wow, wow. Baby, look at you. You wear that on Wednesday night and we're going to be late to prayer meeting. Now that's what she wants to hear. That's what she wants to hear. That's generosity of praise. My beautiful wife sitting there on the front row, when I leave to travel to some godforsaken foreign country, Arkansas or someplace, then <laughs> she'll, put her, she'll put her little hands on my face when I start out the door and she says, Mark, you are the handsomest, sexiest man I've ever seen. Now, look, look, look up here, look. I live in the real world. But that, don't you understand what that, that's generous. That's generous in every kind of way. Let me tell you about two men that were in the last church I pastored. I pastored a huge mega church in Orlando. I want to tell you about two different men took totally different approaches in the way they talked to me. One, I preached one Sunday with, you know what you think is some level of anointing. And I preached and walked out, and I was in the lobby shaking hands with people, headed to the visitor's reception, just as your pastor does. And this man came up to me. He was so angry that he couldn't even talk plain. First, I thought he was talking in tongues. He was so he And he said, I'm leaving the church. I said, What? He said, I'm leaving the church because of the lie you told this morning. I said, what are you talking about? He said, this morning in your sermon, he said, you referenced a, a battle in World War I, and you said that battle was fought in 1917. He said, I happen to be something of an expert in American military history, and I know that battle was not fought until early 1918. He said, a man that a lie about a thing like that will lie about anything. And he said, I'm leaving the church. I said, well, bye. <laughs> I mean, right? Adios. I cannot fix that for you. You know, really. Let me, let me tell you about another man, though, who took a totally different approach. Every Sunday, my dear friend, still my friend, an attorney, a great trial lawyer in Florida. He, I, I, I preach his wife's funeral. Great man. Every Sunday, every, in those days, we had Sunday night church. Every Sunday morning, every Sunday night, every Wednesday night, all the years I was at that church, every time I came out of the pulpit, he said, Oh, Dr. Rutland, that's the greatest sermon I've ever heard in my life. Now listen to me. I was born at night, but I wasn't born last night. I know intellectually that nobody can preach the definitive Christian masterpiece three times a week, year after year after year. I know that in my mind, 
But let me tell you something. There are two great blessings in life, a wife and a lawyer that will both lie to you. Now I know what you're thinking. We can't do that with Pastor Travis. Tell him what a great preacher you are. We pump his ego up. We can't do that. Go on and pump. There'll be some mean old lady in the lobby with a pen. She'll pop him. <laughs> I am now convinced after 50 years in the ministry, the entire race and tribe of Christians is only divided into two categories. There's pumpers and poppers. And I believe that Restoration Church is going to be the church of the holy pumpers. <laughs> you pump each other up, praise each other, being generous with your gratitude, being generous with your praise, being generous with your, with your finances. Now, that's the second level. Here's the third level. And that is giving as God calls upon you. Now, this is where it gets dicey. A lot of people are with you up to that moment, and then they say, wait a minute, wait a minute. Are you about to tell me God wants my donkey? <laughs> what I'm telling you is following Jesus is a wonderful adventure. It's not safe, but it's fun. It is, I, I'm not trying to run your people off, Pastor, but I do want to tell you, it's not safe for you to be here this morning. Every Sunday morning when you get out of your church and start in here to hear Pastor Travis preach, there should be a lump in your throat. You should be saying to yourself, Ooh, anything could happen in there today. God could speak to me about anything in my life. God is good. He's always good. But he's not safe. We serve a God that calls us into adventure. And he says to all of us, if you ever hear me say, the Lord has need of it, I expect you to yield it in that moment without question. I was preaching um, some years ago for Dr. Charlie Sineth at the First United Methodist Church in Marietta, Georgia. He'd asked me to come and teach a series on the, on the Holy Spirit. And uh, they put me in a house as a very wealthy family that had a whole separate wing off to their house and so they put me in that house and I would ride back and forth to church with the man who was just a, a, an older couple so I'd ride with the man to church and then home they cooked it was a really nice arrangement the second night I preached on the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the wife in the couple came to the altar it was a lot of people but she came and she was weeping so hard so I went over and knelt down with her and a couple of the ladies of the church, Mrs. Sineth, and I said, ma'am, do you want to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit? She said, yes, I do. But she said, there's a blockade in my life. And I said, do you know what it is? She said, oh, I know exactly what it is. She said, it's standing between me and God. I didn't know what in the world she was going to say. So I said, ma'am, can you tell me? She said, yes, it's embarrassing. She said, have you noticed the furniture in my house? I'm a man. I, I, I didn't notice if it had floors or not. I, I said, ma'am, actually, I did not quite pay attention to the furniture. She said, every stick of furniture in my house is a genuine antique. This is a house, probably seven, 8,000 square feet. She said, every stick of furniture in my house is an antique. I can't even, hundreds of thousands of dollars wrapped up in furniture. 
And she said, I'm terrified that if I really give my life to God, he'll make me give away my antiques. She said, I've just gotten in my mind. He'll make me give away my antiques. She said, can you promise me that if I ask for the baptism of the Holy Spirit, that God will not demand my antiques? I said, no. No, I, I, no, he may very well. She said, what? I said, he said to the rich young ruler, go and sell all that you have and give it to the poor. She said, oh, no. I said, no, ma'am, I'm not telling you he'll say that. I'm just telling you, I can't promise you he won't. You have to write God a blank check. You write him a blank check. I said, he loves you. He wants you blessed and happy. But I cannot promise you about the antiques, and I won't do that. You know, that lady broke through. She prayed. She broke. She said, all right, God, they're yours. Every stick of it, the house is yours. The cars are yours. It's yours. All you have to do is ask. It's yours. We prayed with her, and she received the Holy Spirit. So a group of us after the service were standing talking around the front of the church. And her husband said, baby, it started snowing. I'm going to dash home and take care of the dog. She said, oh, that's fine. I'll bring Dr. Rutland with me when I come. She said, just get a blanket or something and put the dog on the blanket so it'll be okay. We talked a while longer. And then we drove home. I rode home with her. We pulled up in the driveway and the headlights hit that beautiful mansion. She stopped her car and put her forehead over on the steering wheel and started laughing. She was laughing till tears were streaming down her face. I said, ma'am, what's, what's going on? She said, the dog, the dog. And I, she was laughing. I said, ma'am, what? She said, I sent my idiot husband home to put a blanket out for the dog. That's a $25,000 antique quilt. <laughs> I said, oh my, do you want to go get out and get it? She said, no. No, I give it to God. If he wants to give it to the dog, it's his business. <laughs> don't you see, that's the, don't, don't, make, don't make the life of surrender, generosity, some kind of a, an obligation. Okay, I've got, I wish you could stand up here and watch people put in an offering. They say, Tell you, here's your $5. I hope you're happy. <laughs> I, I, my prayer, and obviously it's what your pastor taught. I heard this message this morning. He said before the offering this morning about the life of generosity. It's a life of joy. It's a life of relationships. It's a life, yes, it's adventuresome. God could say at any moment, the Lord hath need of it. I mean, could you say that in your heart right now? Anything, anything, Lord, all you ever have to do is say to me that you need it, and it's yours. That's, a, that's an adventuresome moment right there. But it's joyful. It's wonderful. It's not an obligation. It's not drudgery. I wish you could one time see an offering in Africa. The, the joy. They put big tubs up here, and I saw that you did that this, the last couple of months. I've seen you put the... But they dance. They literally, not figuratively, they dance up to the front with their offering. And, and they, they're, it's wonderful. It's joyful. I was in Benin City, Nigeria one time. We were in the middle of the service. And a lady came in the back. And she was holding a live chicken. Had the wings folded back and roped like this. And two eggs in her hand. 
a live chicken in one hand and two eggs in the other hand. She came forward and she was weeping. She laid that chicken and those eggs on the altar and she just kneeling there weeping and weeping. And I was sitting up. In those days, you remember, we used to sit up on the platform. And I turned to the pastor and I said, what is wrong with that lady? Why is she crying? He said, no, Dr. Mark, she's, she's not crying because anything's wrong. He said, they're tears of joy and gratitude. She hasn't been able to give anything for a couple of months. And this morning, she has an extra chicken and two extra eggs. And she is so happy that she's weeping with joy. I said, you know, Americans don't get it. We do not get it. We want to count our tithe. I believe in the tithe. I've said that. I don't know who counts the offering here. I don't know who does that. But whoever that is, do you ever get these checks that are $247.13? You ever get that? Come on, round it up. You know what that's about? I'll tell you what that's about. Sit down with your paycheck and a calculator. Put your paycheck in times point one, two hundred and thirty-seven dollars and thirteen cents, and not fourteen cents. And it's better than not tithing at all, but it loses the delight of it. It loses the joy of it. Well, let me uh, let me close with this. You've been very patient. I want to tell you about the person that taught me. Changed my life about the joy of giving. When I was a young Methodist preacher and evangelist, when uh, Lincoln was in the White House, so. it, hurt, it hurts me when you laugh at me. That's rude. Um, Allison and I got married. We were teenagers when we got married. Allison was 17, I was 19. So we waited eight years to have this big guy right here. And during those childless years, I was launching, ministering, getting started with it. And as a Methodist pastor, I began to get a lot of invitations to come and preach elsewhere. So I would go out and preach and then come back to my little Methodist church and go and preach and come back. There was a kid in our church. Jimmy was uh, what I always call a church waif. Do you know what I'm talking about? He just came to church every time the doors opened. His dad was a very violent alcoholic and uh, Jimmy Jimmy liked to be at church because nobody was beating him up and uh, so I started taking Jimmy with me when I would travel to churches that were within driving distance obviously not overnight and even now today in the litigious society in which we live I wouldn't I wouldn't dare drive to a revival out of town with a child in my car but it was innocent in those days and I, I took Jimmy with me on these revivals, and he loved it. He'd sit on the front row. He'd almost always fall asleep. If there was a church supper, the old ladies would give him bowls of banana pudding. He just loved it, and he'd love to go and all. One night, I picked him up at his little house trailer where he lived. He got in the car, and his head was downcast. I said, now, Jimmy, was your, did your dad hit you tonight? Because I told you, I'm calling the sheriff. I'm not going to stand for this anymore. He said, no, he's not even home. I said, what's the matter? He looked down, he said, Pastor, I, I like to go with you, and I like these revivals. But he said, there's something I hate. He said, we go to these Methodist churches, and they always take an offering. And he said, I hate the offering. I said, oh, all Methodists hate the offering. Uh, it's it's one, part of one of our doctrines. But I said, why particularly do you hate the offering? 
And he said, because I ain't never got nothing to give and I'm embarrassed. I said, oh, Jimmy, that's on me. That is on me. I'm, I'm so sorry. Can you ever forgive me? How thoughtless of me. I'm sorry. That'll never happen again. I reached in my pocket and the only thing I had was a $20 bill. I said, Jimmy, if I give you this $20 bill tonight, would you like to put the whole thing in the offering? You would have thought that I handed him a million bucks to spend on himself. He was overcome with happiness. There's a little old dead Methodist church in the countryside of Georgia and Jimmy's on the front row and you know it, it you remember those where you know you sing the first second and fourth verse of three hymns and it was it was pretty deadly and Jimmy was sitting on the front row the pastor and I were sitting up here and he was so cranked up he was waving that money around <laughs> he put it in his collar and and then he'd roll it up and put it behind his ear. And then at one point I looked down in the front row, he's pretending to smoke it. He's doing, he's doing. But the energy was just building and building. I could see him building. And then finally, this little pastor came up, you know, a little sort of standard little church. And he came up and he said, well, if the ushers will come forward, it's time for the evening offering. And Jimmy said, Yay! And the Lord spoke to me, and he said, that is what I like. That is what I like. I believe in the tithe. I believe in generosity of life. I believe in giving as we are called upon to give in those exceptional moments. If God says, give me that, to say, Lord, I'm on this adventure with you. There's nothing you can ask me. But above all things... I believe in a God who blesses in blessing, who loves you and wants to bless your life. I hear people say all the time, you ever hear this phrase? Don't turn the church into a bless me club. You ever hear that phrase? I think I know what people are coming from in that. I, I understand what they're saying. They're talking about not giving in to greed and materialism. I, I know what they're saying, but I don't like the phrase. Oh, Chris, those babies are not bothering me. It's a pretty bad shepherd that can't shout over the bleating of the lambs. He's worried about them. They're, they're going to, of course, come through the ceiling. But George W. Bush has already spoken to us about this. No, you ever hear people say, I don't want the church to be a bless me club. I understand what they're saying, but listen to what I'm saying. What is the opposite of a bless me club? It's a curse me club. <laughs> I, don't, I don't want to join that. How many want to go, get into a curse me club? Raise your hand. Doesn't, so, but how many would like to be in a situation where God says, I'm a God of joy and blessing and generosity, and I want to bless your life? How many want in on that? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Amen. So I'm going to pray for you now. I, uh, before I close my eyes, however, with a pastor on the front row, I'm going to pick this money up. <laughs> close my eyes to pray and what went up. Pastor will increase the offering. <laughs> no, I want to pray for you this morning before we close. And I'm going, to pray, I'm going to pray three prayers. I'm going to pray three prayers. I want you to know what they are. 
I'm going to pray with those of you who are willing to say, will you pray for me that God will help me start the journey, wherever your faith will take you, toward percentage giving. If it can be a tithe, great. If it's 3%, great. But you say, I'm going to start the journey. Will God give me grace? To, and he'll meet you where your faith is. You understand? It's not about laying the law on somebody. The second thing, if you would say, will you pray for me that I will be willing for God to speak to me in that extra moment, that splendid moment where he says the Lord has need of it. And I'll say, Lord, those of you that have a red truck parked in the parking lot, you're getting more and more nervous as this sermon goes on. No, I'm not talking about something specific. Do you understand? I hope you can hear me. And the third is, I want to pray for you to be blessed. I, I am finding liberty at this stage in my life to pray for people to move into new levels of financial favor. Just to be blessed. And I want to pray for you to have that. Will you bow your head and close your eyes all over the house? Thank you, Father. I thank you for this moment, for this splendid church, for this precious pastor and his family. And I pray, God, that now you will bless in unique ways this morning. Now, with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I told you what I was going to pray. The first is this. If you would say, Dr. Rutland, will you please pray for me? I need to get orderly about my regular giving. I want to start the journey toward tithing. If it's tithing, great. If your faith will take you to 10%, start it. But if you say, I, I, I just, I don't know if I, my faith will get me to 10% right now. Okay, fine. Choose the percent that will, that will meet your faith and start there. But if you say, pray for me, I want to begin percentage giving regularly, weekly, monthly. Will you pray for me that God will give me grace and faith to start that journey? If that's you, then you lift your hand up right where you are. And I want to pray for you. Good. One, two, three, four, five. There's another two. Oh, now we're getting hands. Great. You know, some of you just putting your hand up halfway. God can see it. You understand whether you put it all the way up or not. <laughs> good, good. There they are. Now they're coming up. Great, great. Anybody else? Will you pray for me that I can find God's grace for my faith to begin percentage giving, whether that's much or little? Heavenly Father, you see the hands. You see our hearts. Lord, we want to, we want to claim the blessing of tithing. So therefore, we are going to begin the journey of tithing. We believe you for it. We thank you for it. Now, Lord, I pray for every person who raised their hand, maybe those who are frightened and afraid about the journey. I pray, God, that you will show them to start where their faith is with the percentage that they can do this year and move further as, it, as the time comes. I believe you for it, God. Bless them. Prosper them in every way. I thank you for it. Now, if you'll take your hands down. Here's the second question. It's a little more, a little more out there. This is a little more adventuresome. If you would say, Dr. Rutland, will you please pray for me? I want to say to God this morning, anything you ask me for, whatever it is, if I hear you say the Lord has need of it, I will give it and give it immediately without a moment's hesitation. If you have the faith for that, now you lift your hand, and I want to pray for you. Whoa, so many, so many. Now this is a church of adventuresome Christians.